Hi, I'm Amber and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today we have a special guest with us, Colin Stuckert. He is the founder of Wild Foods and the host of Better Human Podcast. Welcome, Colin. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, let's start off telling telling everybody about your background. I I, I hmm. find some really fascinating things in there. You've done kind of a lot and it's yes. like very different. <laughs> so so kind of go through your background. Yeah, I mean, it started in high school. I wanted to get fit, right? I wanted to get abs. And I was always kind of the skinny, skinny fat where like I was really skinny, but my I had those love handles in that midsection, you know, and I was like, I want, I want abs. And so I started going to Gold Gym and that kind of, I, you know, the fitness bug bit me. And so I started doing that for a couple of years, read all the men's health magazines, became a gym rat. And then uh, eventually actually through that process, you know, being at LA Fitness every day, doing the typical bodybuilding thing. I was reading the men's health and there was a article on the side that mentioned the 300 workout. So the movie 300 where the actors were really lean and like, that was a big thing. Uh, and it mentioned CrossFit like next to it somewhere. And so I, that night I, I went to CrossFit.com, went down the rabbit hole, watching videos. I had no idea what I was, what I was watching, but it was really fascinating stuff. And then literally like a month later, I booked a certification in Florida, went to that, went to the gym. Like just, my mind was just like, my mind was blown. Like, oh my gosh, what is this? It's a warehouse. There's people like sweaty walking around with their shirts off. Like, this is so amazing. And then at the same time, I was like, I think I could do this. And so, you know, that led me into the CrossFit world. I eventually started a gym, you know, CrossFit Asteros still there today, 12 years old, which I'm super proud of. Um, but, you know, largest gym in Southwest Florida, we had MMA on one side, CrossFit on another. And then that kind of led me into nutrition. And I was in zone diet at first, cause that was like big in CrossFit. And then I found paleo and I found Rob Wolf. And I was like, whoa, okay. Now this is, this is making a lot, a lot of sense to me. Like if we eat like our ancestors before industrialized food. And so I started doing that and it made a lot of intuitive sense, but the sense it made the most was, okay, I finally burned off that last 10 pounds of stubborn body fat, even though I was training an hour a day. Like I just could not get it off for like a year doing CrossFit. I just couldn't get, lose that last five to seven pounds. That was like that insulin resistance that was showing up there. And then I cut grains. I started cooking at home more and finally got there. And I was like, okay, light bulb, aha moment, epiphany. And, you know, that led me through doing the gym for six years, started blogging, writing, thinking about nutrition, going deep down into the rabbit hole of evolutionary psychology and all the different things, uh, evolutionary biology, just super fascinating stuff that still to this day, I feel like I'm a student of. And eventually um, I decided to move to Texas. I was kind of over fitness, at least in the sense of like running it as a business. And I, I sold everything, sold the gym to my partner, packed up my car, sat in scene, drove to Austin, Texas because paleo FX was there. And I had some friends that just talked, hyped the city up. And, and then a week of being here at an Airbnb, I decided to stay, stayed six years later, started wild foods, kind of thinking about the idea on the, the 20 hour drive to, to Austin. And then now six years later, you know, we have wild foods and I have a family and just all this crazy stuff has happened since then. So Very now we're here having a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's so interesting. And I didn't actually know that you were in Texas. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I'm in Austin right now recording. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> that is awesome. How did I not know that? And and where were you at the meetup? There was a meetup in Austin, you know. I was where there. Where were you? You were? I didn't meet I, you, did I? I I no, I didn't really meet a lot of people. We were <sighs> watching the kids and then it started raining and then it got really crowded and we were kind of it bouncing around so a little rainy. bit. Yeah. Yeah. But we were there oh, and wow. then, okay. then, then we left and, but um, yeah, we need to, do, we need to do something outside. Like people have more space and 
can yeah. interact, you know, like Zilker Park or something would be good. But which it was originally there. Yeah, it was but originally. because of the rain. Yeah, there's yep. like a hundred percent chance of rain, and it's a good thing we did what we did. Yes. It did sure. rain. Yep. Okay. Well, very interesting. Okay. You have something in your past that I read on your bio that I found fascinating. It has nothing to do with health, y'all, but it's still fascinating. I want to know a little bit about it. Okay. You were a professional poker player. How does one even get into that? You just like, oh, hey, I'm going to play poker for for a profession. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it started around the World Series of Poker, Poker Boom that was going on. It was like 2004 or something, right out when I got out of high school. And Chris Moneymaker won the World Series. It was like he became super famous and it was a big thing. And you could play online poker. It was a lot easier to play. It's a lot harder to play now because of government regulation. And so I went to a local uh, Immokalee Casino, an Indian casino in Immokalee, Florida. You drove like 45 minutes to get there. And I was playing like one, two limit with people smoking. Like it was just, it was crazy. But I won 20 bucks and I was like, oh my gosh, like just something in my mind was like, I could sit here. I can make decisions and I can convert that to real money. Like it, it blew my mind. Right. And also kind of like early entrepreneurial, um, like my, my, when I was younger, I sold magic cards. Like I've always had kind of an entrepreneurial thing. So like, if I could do it myself and create wealth for me, that's just like always been a, a, a just, a the only way I can see the world, basically, like, I just cannot take orders from someone else and tell me what to do. Like I have to do it my own, my own thing. So poker was just, it made a lot of sense. Like, okay, I can do this thing. I can get good at it. I can make good decisions. I can, I can make money. I don't have to like sh- go to a job. I don't have to have a paycheck. I can just like kind of control my destiny. And I did that. And then I started making more and then I started showing up more and I got into online poker. And actually the funny thing is the story of how it got started. There was uh, uh, a commercial for a student loan from Chase Bank where they were advertising, oh yeah, we'll send you a check for student loan or whatever. And I thought it was interesting because I always thought student loans went to the college itself. And so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try to apply for this. Let me see if they'll actually send me the money. So they sent me a check for $7,000 and I literally took it and deposited it into online poker. <laughs> and I ran that up to about $150,000 within like the course of a year. And uh, most money I've ever had in my life, right? Like it didn't come from money or anything like that. And it was just crazy. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go pro. I'm going to play pro. And a lot of people were going pro at the time. And then it became very stressful. You know, multiple days, I lost over $10,000 in a single session, like very brutal to show up to, to work and like lose money like that. And I was like, I started opening my mind to like, I need to do something else. And that's what kind of led me to doing the juice bar, the gym, and mm-hmm. um, just finally taking my entire bankroll and starting a business space, basically. And so that, that was my stint, my you know two-year stint as a professional poker player. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, wow. It taught me a okay. lot about mindset That's... and my and decisions and money management. Like it was probably one of the perfect setups for becoming an entrepreneur, to be honest. Really? Yep. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to jot something down because I'm going to bring this up later. <laughs> okay. So let's go ahead and get into the health part. You mm-hmm. are really big into the ancestral way of eating and living basically. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, for somebody who doesn't really understand what you mean by ancestral, what does it mean to you? And tell us a little bit about it. And and what is the importance of it? What's the big deal about that? Yeah, well, our ancestors, ancestral, right? They all, all of them, for every single one of us alive today, they were born in nature in the wild. They lived in nature in the wild and they died in nature in the wild for their entire lives, right? Right. And today you can see it's the complete opposite 
where we're born into sterilized rooms with air conditioning and lights and all these artificial toxins. Uh, our food supply is artificial and manipulated, uh, not local, right? Like, uh, I mean, it, it just applies to everything. When you really understand the ancestral perspective and the mismatch, it's the mismatch theory. It's like, okay, humans are born in the wild and now we're in this modern zoo we've created for ourselves, just like uh, any zoo you go to with animals, like the tigers lay around, they don't move, they're, they're basically depressed, they're overweight, they're sick. They're not in their natural environment. What I think is so funny about this, though, is how so many very smart people today just ignore this fact because of this hubris that humans have that we're like better or different from the animal kingdom. And that just drives me nuts. Homo sapiens sapiens is the only surviving extant uh, hominid in nature. We're the winners, evolutionarily speaking, right? And there was Neanderthals, there was uh, Homo erectus, all these other hominid species that just didn't survive. And our big brains allowed us to do that. But we're still part of nature. We're still animals. Like that just is what it is, unfortunately. And fortunately or, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it. So as any anthropologist or biologist, biologist is probably a better um, way to think about it. Biologists study animals in their habitat. And, and, and that's basically like the first principle of how they think about the species. When it comes to humans, we just like pretend that we're not animals and we don't have a habitat. And like, we can just like manipulate our environment and there's no side effects or whatever. And like, we'll just figure it out with science or whatever. So, I mean, capital S science, which I, that's a whole rabbit hole itself, but um, it's just like the hubris and the dogma and just the bad ideas that come from modernity. And we're just literally ignoring the actual first principles there of biology, of human biology. And that is the ancestral perspective. So that's kind of like, for me, it's the first principle that everything is built on top of. Absolutely. And, and I agree with that. Now, what do you tell somebody who says, this is 2021. Come on. We've evolved. We, we, we mm. don't, we don't have to eat like that anymore. I mean, we're not the same as we were. So obviously we don't still look like that. So we're, we're different. So. Yep. Well, there's a lot of cues here. There's literally tons of them. Uh, cavities. There is almost no documented evidence of like heart disease or cancer. And some of these things we can't really, it's hard to figure out, but there's no observational studies of like modern day hunter gatherers, like for the last hundred years, 200 years, there's been, there's been people that have been studying people that still live the same way our ancestors did, right? You can actually still go to Africa. My buddy, Brian from uh, Sapien went over to visit the Hadza and a couple other people recently. And he's like, these are the healthiest people I've ever seen in my life. And he's got all this video and footage and whatever. And it's like to, to, to look at these people, to know that before we were farming, like there's a lot of data that we know some of these things, like literally for sure, we can prove them through fossil record and things like that. We know that humans did not, could not industrialize food, did not mass produce food before about 10,000 years ago. We know this for sure. And then we know that hominids or homo sapiens sapiens is about 200 to 300,000 years old, right? Like that's the range. So to ignore 190,000 to 290,000 years of history, right? And then say, oh, well, in this short blip of time on the evolutionary timescale, which 10,000 years is literally nothing in the span of, the, of earth and all evolution, you know, it's, it's really, really absurd that that's kind of the, the perspective people come at it. Well, oh, 10,000 years or it's recency bias. What is what it is. That's all, just all it is. It's like, we see what we see now and we want to justify our models with the world that we see and the things we want to believe. And we, we want to ignore the inconvenient truths and all this. And I just, I just call BS on all that. Like I'm a first principles thinker. Like I generally always think iconoclastically, I take anything that the mainstream does and I, and I look at the opposite and that's almost always where I find truth. It's very surprising how consistent that actually is and how consistent that works. And yeah, it's just ridiculous. There's so much data that proves an ancestral perspective is a first principle 
And there's so little data that, that, I mean, there's almost no good actual data that can even refute it. That's what's crazy to me. It's like, you think modern humans are better. We're shorter. Our brains are smaller and we're, we're, we're sick, right? Like we're not talking like small numbers either. 50 plus percent obesity rate in America. And yeah. Uh, open your eyes, I would say, open your eyes and see modern humanity. And then tell me like reconcile that with like healthy hunter gatherers. And even today we can go find a few, there's a few that are still exist and go look at how healthy they are and compare simple as that. I have a good example for you. Okay. I just got certified as a raw dog food specialist because hmm. we're getting a new puppy and we just lost my baby. Um, and I, I totally feel it's because of the crap food she was fed, mm. even though we tried to find the best, I still think it was crap. So I feel very strongly about raw diets. And in part of that training, they talk about how a dog is only 0.02% different genetically than a wolf. And how many, I don't know about you, but I've heard multiple times, well, a dog's not a wolf and they need to eat the dog food you buy in a store. Vets will say that a lot of them, there are some that are kind of coming around and that have, you know, some yep, research right. behind them, but that baffled me. How many people will say that, that it's, it's, it's not healthy to feed your dog raw. They're basically a wolf. Do you, do you feed grains to your a wolf? I mean, really? Yeah, that's one example of many. Um, I guess I would say another way to kind of dispel that a little bit is to think about just risk versus reward and statistics. A lot of people don't really understand statistics that well or just how math works and how random the world actually is. Um, but it's like every day you walk out of your house, you're taking a risk that something's going to kill you basically. Every time you get in a car, you're, I mean, actually driving is the most dangerous thing we do on a regular basis that we accept. It's like, whatever, because again, recency bias, we haven't had a car crash in 10 years. So we think it can't happen to us. But then, you know, as Nassim Taleb talks about, like, then you become a turkey where the, the I love this analogy. So the turkey thinks the farmer loves him because every day the, tur the farmer wakes up and gives a turkey food. And that works up until the day, uh, up until Thanksgiving, basically. And then the turkey's like, oh shit, this is what's happening. Right. So what people, what I always try to recommend to people is like, you should always be hyper careful about a lot of things and you should understand the risks and you should be aware of them. And you should not become the turkey where every day of your life, because it's been normal, because nothing bad has happened to you. You assume through recency bias, right? And consistency bias that tomorrow is going to be there or the next day is going to be there or that a month's going to be there. But the reality is millions of people die every single day around, around planet earth, like literally millions of people. So don't be the turkey right? Use, understand the numbers, understand the risks. And then to, with the raw food thing is like, okay, you take a dog that is, you know, 0.02% different than a wolf or whatever. Let's, let's focus on the 99.98%, right? And what does that say? Well, based on genetics and history and all, everything, dogs uh, should be eating raw meat, just like wolves do. Right. And then even before 10,000 years ago, just like humans, dogs couldn't have eaten this processed grain kibble crap either. It literally didn't exist. So what did they eat? Well, they ate maybe a few plants here and there, but mostly they ate animals. And then like, bam, there you go. First principle. And then you take that information and then you test it for yourself. Feed your dog raw food for 30 days. Feed yourself, you know, carnivore, whatever it is for 30 days, like remove the toxic foods and then track what happened. Then you can make an, you can have an opinion about what you should maybe do or not do. Right. But until then, and almost nobody does this because when people do this, they, uh, they convert to what the truth is. Right. 
but everyone that is usually criticizing something has literally not done the empirical research or even a, like a, a, a little bit of research. It's just like, so frustrating. Yeah. Carnivore is bad for you because you can't just eat meat. We have to have veggies. You must have veggies. Mm. Yeah, but based on yep. what? Like, okay, show me. <laughs> Yep. Exactly. There's there's tons of studies talking about this, Colin. Oh, don't yeah. you know? Yeah, talk, I do. And it's all, yeah, it's talk all about nonsense. that. <laughs> well, and why is that? Well, so yeah, Sean Baker talked about this on he was on the podcast. He he was saying that he was citing, I think, a researcher, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was basically saying that the the nutrition research is so bad that we do, basically don't have a basis for having any food guidelines guidelines whatsoever. So we should scrap all of it and then let people figure it out for themselves. And if we did that. Like um, imagine the amount of absurdity we would remove, like from subsidizing corn, wheat, and soy to like big pharma, big food, and everyone working together and all this craziness. Like I call them accidental conspiracies where they happen on accident, but then they become conspiracy because then they, they work together to maintain the broken status quo. And it becomes very hard to tear those down. That's what, I mean, everything from the FDA to the USDA to um, big pharma, like all this stuff. These are these accidental conspiracies that now have a prop profit motive to maintain a narrative that is completely flawed. And Unfortunately, the masses still like pay attention to the news and they watch some dude on a podium. They believe what he says, even though they're like politicians are actors and the news is manipulated. And oh man, yeah, like that you have to think for yourself is basically what this comes down to. And then you have to eat for yourself and test and figure out your body will tell you. Literally, that, that solves everything. Oh, you want to debate on the internet? Okay, do the thing, do each one. Experiment for 30 days in this one, experiment for 30 days in this one, create a controlled experiment, be your own scientist, then report your data back. But people can't do this because their food identity is wrapped up into their real identity. And then there's cognitive dissonance. And like, it's really, really hard to change our minds. And most people aren't even self-aware that they should want to change or need to change their mind. So that's a whole nother issue. And yep, humans are very flawed creatures to say the least. It, it, very much so. And, and like you said, when, when you're trying to convince somebody, I, I just got through reading a book called The Catalyst. And when somebody feels like they're being persuaded they poof, put up a wall and they're yep. done and they're going to double down on what they originally believed, even if it's false and has been proved to be wrong. They're going to double down on that because they don't want to be persuaded. And I, I have found, and, and this is shocking to me because I guess I never really thought about it or realized it because I was so involved in other areas or whatever that food and, and how you eat and how you talk about it is like religion or politics. Yep. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. And people will jump on you <laughs> if you do not fit there, you know, and I'm not even talking about the extremes like veganism and, and carnivore. I'm talking the whole spectrum. It, yeah. it just doesn't even matter. It's very matter. strange, actually. It's people it, just, it's they bizarre. really, they really don't like being told that something that maybe they enjoy is not good for them. You know, uh, mm -hmm. like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's yeah. what it is. It's like, they're just trying to maintain, they're trying to remove dissonance. So when somebody says, oh, grains are bad, but like you love eating bread every single day, or you have sandwiches or whatever, you're like, I could never get my sandwiches and all these, like the nonsense that people tell themselves, what do they do? It's a defense mechanism. They have to remove that dissonance by attacking the person that created the dissonance in the first place. Right. Same thing with politics. I mean, literally same thing with everything. I mean, think about science for a second. You have scientists and researchers that have been publishing papers for years. Like let's say they've been plant-based and they publish like 40 papers and they've always peer, peer cited, peer reviewed, all this, all this stuff. And then new information comes out or maybe they should open their mind a little bit and like explore like, well, maybe plants only isn't the best thing. Maybe plants should be balanced out with other things, like whatever. It becomes so hard to even open their mind to the possibility that they should even explore this topic because 
they have 20 years of doing the same thing, thinking the same thing. And they also have a financial incentive to not open their mind. Right. Like that's, that's what you all see in politics. Like it's, uh, yeah, it's bad. Um, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole though, because we could be talking about that for the rest of the show. (laughs) (laughs) That is for sure. It is. It just really does baffle me and I'm seeing it more and more. And it's like, what do you care what I do? What do you care? Yeah. As long as I'm not preaching to you, forcing you to eat my way, what do you care? Well, so they care about their identity and maintaining that. So they have to attack anything that creates that dissonance. Yeah. That, that is true. And, and to me, that is just such, so weird because I've never given two poos what other people eat other than I might, I, I'm not saying I, I don't judge a little bit, but you sure. know, like, oh, really, do you want to get that? Oh, that's yeah. so bad. You know, or <laughs> don't give that, that kid that thing. frap, that sugar yes. frap at Starbucks that drives me nuts. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's a crazy world we live in. I'm going to say, sure. okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about your food journey because you've been through kind of the, the whole kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, how, how did you evolve? Yeah. Well, it's like I said, it started with men's health and men's health at the time was, you know, chicken breasts and rice and broccoli, you know, it was like the very typical bodybuilding fitness diet. Um, and then it was that, that led me to zone, which was zone was more about macro. So you're counting how many carbs, like blocks, you have blocks of fat, blocks of protein, blocks of carbs. And it was actually a good way to like, under think about my macros a little bit and not kind of track them too obsessively. And then finally paleo was the quality definition. Like if, if these are raw, real close to nature ingredients and I cook them at home, I don't buy them out of package. I don't let the corporation cook the food or process the food for me. Uh, then that kind of gets me the final leg. And so what it has become now, and then obviously the carnivore last year for a while, I, I wanted to like lean up again. I was probably eating out too much. And so that was like the final aha moment for me where I now currently believe that a primarily animal, animal-based diet is the most optimal diet for humans. And for some people that are sensitive to certain foods, what, whether they like it or not, like just because the food's there available, just because it's tasty and you want it does not mean it's good for you. And it does not mean that you can convince yourself that your body can handle it at all, right? Um, but maybe if you cooked it from scratch, maybe if you want to eat bread and you made sourdough and you find that your body tolerates that, then you can have a happy place where you can eat that. But most people aren't going to go to that to that uh, extreme. So what most people are going to do is they're going to take the easy route of trying to conform their their beliefs with what they want to do and then ignore information. It's confirmation bias. They ignore information that they don't want to see that challenges that and they only seek out information that will support that belief. And that's what we see most of. And that's why people will literally struggle with their health for years and not do what they need to do. Even when maybe deep down subconsciously, they might know what they need to do, but they're just like not willing to accept it and do it. Um, So paleo was, was, was quality. That was a huge first principle for me. The, the closer to nature, the more real quality. And when I make it at home and I can control what goes in it, how it's cooked, all these different things, that is the first principle of the foundation. So I call it real food with a capital R and capital F. And then as far as optimizing, I might look at some like Ted Nyman's work and I might think about like my protein to energy ratio. And if I'm eating too much energy and maybe I'm like gaining a little bit more fat in these areas and I want to, then I might have to throw out my protein, reduce my energy, which energy being carbs and fat. So I do think about macros, but only if it's for a specific body composition goal, right? Most people get way too dogmatic about this stuff in like these different communities, carnivore and all these different things, because they're just trying to have a blank, a blanket, one size fits all kind of way to eating, but that doesn't exist because I mean, a 200 pound male, that's like trying to compete in a sport versus like a 150 pound guy that just wants to like live a long time and feel good 
basically myself, right? And I'm not trying to optimize for sport or win any gold medals, or I don't need to be a figure athlete, but I do like to be lean. So I always, I always monitor that. And I also love food. If I, I love food and I, and I would eat as much of it as I could. And I would eat steaks all day. And like, I would do all these things because I love food. But if I do that, I'm, I'm making a trade-off for my body comp and not even necessarily from a health perspective, because like I could probably carry around a few extra pounds and it's not going to be a huge deal for the rest of my life, but I don't want to carry around a few extra pounds because I'm balancing the fact that I like to take my shirt off and I like to feel good about how I look. Right. So there's no one size fits all approach other than understanding ancestrally that real food is a foundation. If you let corporations cook for your food for you, like Michael Pollan has a book called cook, which is everybody should read, but the more you let corporations cook your food, the less likely you are for that food to be good for you and the more trade-offs you're making, et cetera. And from there, if it's really good ingredients and you're sourcing them intelligently, then you can decide what levers you want to pull up or down. Do you want to have a little bit more weight on you, but you'd like to enjoy your food or whatever? Do you want to, do you like fasting and you want to do that more? I, I think fasting is the first principle, but like, that's not really something like, I think there's a lot of ways to do it. And I think again, even with that, people become dogmatic. Like you have to eat breakfast, never eat breakfast. Don't eat this. Do it. Like just maybe you should eat when you're hungry and not eat when you're not hungry. Like maybe just do that and then watch how your body naturally creates an intermittent fasting routine. Right. So I think that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's good. Okay. Since we kind of know your background with food, you mentioned, and I caught this and I, I, I didn't realize this, that you had a juice bar. Yeah. Way back in the day. Uh-huh. Tell me a little bit about that. And what do you think about that now? Well, so do you, so juices and smoothies specifically, would you yeah. like, okay. like, like high fruit, you know, smoothies, or even some of the veggie ones that have a, like a bunch of stuff in there. Yeah. So th this is where it gets tricky because it's like, if people are going from a standard American diet and they're drinking like smoothies and, and fruit bowls and doing things like that, like it's still an upgrade, but it's not optimal. So that's really how I think about it. If I want to have a smoothie or a juice, I mean, I don't do green juices because I don't actually think they're that great for you. And like, if I don't enjoy it, I'm not going to drink it. I'm not going to spend $7 because I think I'm getting a bunch of green in my diet. Um, there, you know, there's a time and place for that. And I like to just get my, that those sources from real food. I want to like cook my veggies and I want to like eat it and have a bunch of salt on it and butter and, you know, control it. So I don't usually do green juices, but if I want like uh, a fruit juice, I'm, I'm drinking that as purely enjoyment. I'm not, I'm not doing that because I think it's healthier in any way. And again, I'm, I'm balancing the fact that I'm going to drink this fructose and the sugar, and it's going to make me more li likely to gain body fat in areas. I probably don't want it, but I'm making that trade off because I'm, I'm cognizant of the, uh, of what I'm doing. Right. So the idea that, you know, you can drink juice all the time or do juice cleanses or like sugar filled smoothies. Yeah. Like that's not optimal if your goal is to be lean and you know, you could even make a case for like a health argument if you're doing too much of it, right? It depends on kind of the mm -hmm. dose. But I actually think that whole fruit plus carnivore or plus an animal-based uh, diet is probably like the closest thing that I found for my happy place when I was doing carnivore mostly was just when I'm, when I have that sweet tooth come up, I eat fruit. I don't really care what it is. I'll eat whatever. And then I eat carnivore the rest of the time. And like, I found like that is a really good balance for me. Um, and it also helped me maintain my leanness. And obviously if I'm eating more fruit that might cut into my leanness or whatever. So I have to kind of, I have to watch that, but yeah, I mean, smoothies aren't, aren't a health food. They're, they're, they're just a, they're just a better for you treat is, is how I would kind of summarize it really. Oh yeah. That's an interesting take. Yeah. I, I did a CGM experiment and I tasted uh, or tested a banana 
which is mm. something that I used to eat every day because I just love bananas as my most favorite thing. I'd rather have that than a lot of things. And every single day I had at least one. Yeah, that was kind of a really spiky kind of thing. Yep. But um, it wasn't actually as bad as the honey, though. The honey just mm. sent my sugars just so high. And then it dove it so low wow. that I was nauseous and dizzy and felt like crap. I didn't feel like crap after the banana, though. But it's it, it dropped. But um, the honey just went shunk and boom. And I was like, I felt I felt horrible. That is something I don't want to ever have again. But the banana actually, I mean, it still spiked it. It was still a little bit high, but it wasn't mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, awful, you know, compared yeah. to the honey anyway. So I find that yeah. very interesting. It's the importance of, of knowing your body and your biology. And, and, and again, doing your own experimentation. You Absolutely. Know? It's like, yeah. So. Yeah. Fruit to me is one of those kind of, you know, because, because if you look at fruit from an ancestral perspective, mm -hmm. it's not the same fruit that we have nope, today. Sure it's isn't. not as sweet. It's it, I mean, it, it's sweeter, it's bigger. It's been, you know, genetically modified and who knows what they've Hybridized, done to it. More fructose and yeah. Per, yep, yeah. Yep. And so it's so completely different. And I've talked to several people who actually were fruititarians for a while and they said that their health was absolutely the pits during that time period. Well, so yeah, I find I mean, that really interesting how, how just, because you've always been told how wonderful fruit is and you can have as much as you want, eat whatever mm. fruit, so long as it's fruit. And, you know, I'm not bashing all fruit or anything like that. It's not something I choose to eat because I know what it does to my body, but you know, some people can handle it and it's fine. But you know, when you hear stuff like that, you're like, Oh gosh, you know, <laughs> Yeah. It For also sure. just doesn't compare to like, just eat a steak and you get all the nutrients times up, up, infinite, infinite. Right. I mean, other than maybe vitamin C, which is a debate, but like, honestly, you can get that from meat anyways. And I think your body down regulates how much vitamin C it even needs. So I think that's mostly solved in my mind. Um, the other thing about fruit is yes, the, the, the hybridization, the genetically modified and just the mass produced fruit that is in most grocery stores, like, it, it's kind of just like a, a nature's candy bar. And again, if you have goals, right. And you're trying to understand, like reach those goals, you might be doing things that are counter to what your goals are. So that's a very important thing yeah. to, to, for people to, to understand. And it's not one size fits all. It's not blanket. You can't do the same thing as somebody else. It might be able to have honey. And like Paul Saladino does honey. He's experimenting with that, but you can't have it. I don't know. I haven't tested it myself. I don't really like it that much. So I'll eat it sometimes. Like, so whatever. There's so much variability to each, to each human that, you know, we need to understand these things um, and, and for ourselves, really. Yeah. And do you believe that you should focus more on how you feel after you eat a certain food? For instance, I posted some things about what I eat in a day because I had so many people ask me, you know, I, I find it fun funny how people are really interested in how you eat. Right. Yep. And so I posted it just for fun, whatever. And I kept getting these comments like, number one, you're not eating enough. Number two, your fat's way too low. My fat was about 70% and mm -hmm. I'm five, two. I'm not overly active. I, you know, I'm almost 55. I mean, and I feel fantastic. My blood work is excellent except for cortisol. Hello, but mm -hmm. you know, stress, but everything is great. So I'm like, yeah, it, those Obviously the internet does not bring out the most critical thinking out of humans, right? I think we've established that. Um, so they're just lazy comments. And as it goes with the most internet comments, uh, it's a very simple discussion. 
you could pretty much just like come to a, a truth, like a few, a few good Socratic questions, like try to define what they're saying. And then you could pretty much for most people, most of these kind of short-sighted comments, you can prove to people like they themselves by answering your questions would then disprove what they even said or, or even shine light on how dumb of a question it actually is. And that's just an example of that. Like trying to tell somebody that this is that way or that way or whatever, it's literally just you projecting their, your own nonsense and your own beliefs. And maybe you're even your own bi biological preferences onto somebody that you don't even know or have spent time with or whatever, uh, or even have the full picture of. So yeah, it's just, it's just lazy thinking. I mean, we find that all over the internet. And you're, you're different, you know, like it, it, not to mention goals too. Like, like you were talking right. about my goals aren't to be a bikini model. I'm not saying mm -hmm. I wouldn't like to look that way. Okay. But I mean, realistically it's it. No, yeah. I mean, and so I don't know, that just drove me nuts. Cause I'm like, what do you want me to just like chow on butter? What? I don't I mean, know. That's all fat. I can eat. Right. Yeah. It was like 60 to 70%, depending, you know, each day kind of varies. Sometimes days I was hungry, some days I wasn't, whatever. Some days I, you know, a certain amount of calories. Sometimes I, you know, had, I don't know, 400 more calories in one day, mm -hmm. but it kind of balanced out to a certain right. point. And that seems to be where my body wants to be. Yep. I don't know, but I'm not suffering. So, and I feel great and I'm never hungry and I'm in a great mood. So I don't know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just find that just so <laughs> bizarre. But anyway, okay, so let's talk about some things that people can do to get their health back on track. What do you consider to be like one of the most important first steps you can do? First step you can do, well, get outside every day in the sun. I mean, I feel like when I'm in the sun, my mood improves and I'm more actually it's weird. I don't, maybe I'm making this up. This could be, you know, my, my imagination, but it feels like I'm more craving just real whole foods. And if I get in the sun, I have less cravings for those things I shouldn't be eating. So I have less craving to feel like I need to go to a restaurant or I need to like get some ice cream or, you know, whatever those, those trigger foods that I do more than I should have should probably, um, when I'm outside, it's just like my body is just, just works things out. So that, that would definitely be the first thing, but then I would have to, look at your pantry and be like, well, maybe your first thing is actually just emptying out all that crap and like throwing away everything, you know? Uh, and some people won't do that because money or whatever. So I don't know like what the actual first step is, but the actual first most important or, or not even first, but just the most important thing you need to do is you need to stop eating out of packages and eating at restaurants. Restaurants are not health food. I don't care. Like it, it just, they, they, it doesn't exist. Eating at a restaurant is a cheat, a treat, like however you want to label it. It's not something that you should be defaulting to. It's not something that is good for you long-term, it's sustainable, whatever. You do everything you can to get home and prep your own food, cook your own food. And if you don't know how to cook, get a crock pot, like throw a bunch of stuff in there, use enough salt and it'll come out later and it'll taste good. And then just eat that. Whatever you need to do to make sure you're eating, I mean, like literally 99% of your meals if possible or 95 at least, or get that number up to whatever you can, 95% of your meals, should be eaten at home or, or, or it should be a packed meal that was made at home. That is the, literally the single, single most important thing. And if you combine that with getting outside, getting the sun every day, and then ideally taking a walk, like those two things right there account for probably about 80 to 90% of what people need to do. And if you do that for 90 days and you you let your body kind of do its thing and you, you, you change your palate, your, your, um, your flavor profile of what like you crave and like, you just let your body reset to its natural state by eating real food, by getting outside, then 
keep doing that and you're, it'll change your life. Literally it'll change your life. Those two things. And then you can worry about optimizing and like, should you be working out more, going to the gym? Like, you know, do obviously if you can get outside and play a sport or do anything active, that's great. But I feel like most people are already do, like, they're either doing that or they're not. And so for those that aren't doing that, that aren't as active, focus on your nutrition. Cause that's where, that's where it's going to come from anyways, you know, and then that, and then yeah. as you get more energy, you lose body fat, you do all these different things, then you'll be more likely to want to move. You have more energy and you have better mood to make better decisions. It's just, it's an amazing snowballs. Yeah. Snowball. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. So you just brought something up that kind of hit me because this came up the other day when you eat clean and your body gets used to that. And then you have something maybe that you don't normally have, and it just kind of hits you like a ton of bricks. And let's just use sugar. I don't do this, but let's just say sugar. Okay. So you haven't eaten sugar in two years. So your palate and you don't have all the addiction and all the crazy going on. And then you come across some sugar. M maybe it was in a sauce that you thought was clean mm -hmm. and it, it just hits you and all you can taste is sweet. Oh, good God, you know, sweet. Is that a thing really? Because I was told that, no, that that's, doesn't happen. You, you don't just become overly sensitive to something like that just because you quit eating junk. Well, I don't know. I think... Uh obviously we have to account for individual biological differences. Uh, for example, my buddy, Kevin stock, you know, he's a hardcore carnivore. He did an experiment where he did, I think it was honey he used and a couple other like really aggressive cheat meals where he hadn't had sugar for, I don't like a long time. And what he found was not much happened. So he tracked it from the hormone level. He tracked it from how do I feel after level? He tracked all the, all the necessary metrics to, perform an actual experiment. Like he was his own scientist and he's like, it didn't really affect me that much. He didn't really find that he was craving as much after it didn't really spike his hormones as, mu as much. Um, and it didn't even seem to like put him in a really a negative state in any way that much. I also have had another carnivore on the podcast. It was, um, Kirk. He did the same thing where he, uh, when he has a cheat meal, his body doesn't even really register it. And I actually feel like that's like my goal too. And I feel like I I'm getting closer to that. And I, and I've noticed that as, as, as much, it almost seems like when you reduce it, when you get these foods out of your diet for longer, your body becomes more resilient at kind of processing them, them out when you, they do come in. Now, of course, if you're super sensitive to gluten or whatever, then like, that's a different story, but I feel like building metabolic strength makes those things affect you less. Whereas if they're in your diet, but they're kind of like in and out, in and out or whatever, it, it almost like throws your body just out of whack and you can never build like a strong resilience up. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've noticed. Like when I'm eating things consistently, like sugar or grains or whatever, and then I might go a little bit too hard one day, then like, I'll really not feel great. But when I'm not eating at all and I have it, you know, as long as I don't go too overboard, my body just kind of, it's good. Just handles it, deals with it. Yeah, I, I do find that and with the, the CGM experiment that I did do, there was... For the most part, I just don't want to add anything else in my diet. So I don't really care about experimenting about some stuff. I did with the mm -hmm. honey only because it's such a controversial thing. So I was curious what it would do to me. And because right. I used to eat honey every day, just like with the banana, I had peanut butter and honey mixed together on some low calorie, low carb uh, bread, mm -hmm. you know, just really love like cardboard bread. And I would eat that every day. So that's why I tried that one. But I am so hypersensitive to taste now. Mm. Like, like I, uh, I think that happens though. I think that yeah, does happen. I, I, I think, think you become I more sensitive that. to it. 
because yeah. you're it's everything all the, the, the stuff that jacks perception. you your yeah. your everything yeah, yeah. but I, I i decided that i was <laughs> iphone alarm for my meeting just going crazy so oh, i hate back. that <laughs> uh, okay so when I did the CGM experiment, I decided to do a chocolate tort that I used to love at, at my one of my favorite restaurants now. And it's very low sugar, actually, a very dark chocolate. And it's pretty much just cream, the sugar and mm. the chocolate, you know, pretty much. And probably and scratch, scratch made like in-house. Yeah, exactly. Right? Which is, it makes a big difference. Yeah, it barely moved. Hmm. Now, I, I couldn't eat the whole thing, I'll, I'll admit, because it was just way too rich now, because, yep. again, my palate is like super sensitive now. And uh, so I couldn't eat it all, but it just barely moved. You know, it, it just went up a little bit, like no I, big I deal. Think that's, I think that's why I think and, your body becomes like, more resilient. Yeah, yeah, I think your body. Now, the honey too. did me did me crazy, but that that but that particular dessert didn't. So, mm. you know, however it you know processed in my body. But let me tell you a funny thing that I. I Okay. Every now and then I, I, I have drinks. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I do that on weekends. I'll admit it, but I, I do a drink where it's basically just tequila and um, fresh lime juice and just a little bit of olive juice. And I'll have Paleo that margarita. That's there you well, go. The, the right? olive is added, but that's Rob Wolf's signature. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, that that's the only way I like it. Okay. Well, somebody actually put in the tonic water, whatever the stuff that has a sweet taste, whichever I was oh, get yeah, confused. Yeah. Yep. And then they realized it was for me. Because they, everybody knows me in the bar because they're like, oh, good God, this, this girl, is she crazy about her drink. But um, he, he just kind of dumped it and shook it out and then did the rest of the mix. And then it was brought to my table. I took a sip and I was like, oh, my good God, this mm. is awful. This is like all I taste is sugar. Yeah. And then my husband was like, okay. And then he took a little slip and he goes, oh, God, this is awful. All <laughs> I taste is lime. And, and oh, so wow. it's Funny. like, it was very curious, but I could detect even, you know, with the glass, just barely having some that was kind of basically rinsed in it. Uh, it to me, it was like a full blown margarita or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Ooh, no. So I, I, I really do think there's something to that for With sure. sugar. I think so too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let me see. Oh, okay. Uh, since you have eaten carnivore and, and you're kind of into the ancestral way of, of eating and living, can you really survive on just meat? I can already tell you, I know that the answer to that because I'm living it. But when you hear people say, you can't do that, you, you must have your veggies, you must have other nutrition. So is that really a thing? Well, the question is, why can't you survive on meat? That's the question we should be asking. So, so what, what, what are some of the common arguments you get? Uh, that we need fruits and vegetables. Okay. But we why, why do we need fruits and vegetables? What is in, what, what does that provide so. that meat doesn't? Uh, well, there's gotta be something. I mean, I'm, they come okay, up but with that's not a scientific argument. <laughs> gotta be something isn't scientific. Like right. It. So like, we're, we're trying to pull, we're trying to do the Socratic method here that everybody can really in their head do for almost anything yeah. to get to the truth. Um, if, if you're asked, if you're asking or making statements or whatever around, uh, can we survive on only meat? Well, you have to find out like if we weren't able to survive on only meat, what would be the thing that we're missing that allows us or that prevents us from doing that? So the only thing that I've seen or heard is vitamin C that's, that's the common yeah. Yeah. fence or whatever. But there's also some interesting research around, well, there's, there's two data points here. There's interesting research around this that suggests that 
by actually eating less carbohydrates and sugar and things like that, your body needs way less vitamin C anyways. And the little bit that you can get from eating nose to tail is more than enough. Right. And of course, nose to tail includes like organ meats every so often and things like that. Right. So that's the one interesting data point. The other interesting data point is empirical evidence, which we have a ton of. There are people that have been eating carnivore only for literally years on end, and they're still here recording podcasts and posting on Instagram and doing whatever, right? You're one of them. I believe Sean Baker is pretty hardcore. Paul Saldina, for example. And there's plenty of other people's Amber uh, or Heron, I think her name is like, there's some people that uh, uh, Michaela Peterson, another one that eat literally only animal foods because they're so hypersensitive and have autoimmune issues that they can't even have like one olive, for example, in the case of Michaela Peterson, or she her arthritis and her depression flares up for 30 freaking days. Like she had like one little jar of olives and that, and that happened. So she just doesn't even go there and she's doing just fine. Right. So it's just, again, lazy thinking. And I guess anybody listening to this, that if they're struggling with these ideas and they're struggling with like trying to reconcile what people say, what society does, what their parents and friends say, or whatever. And they're, they're like, they're getting distance because like they don't want to go against the grain or they don't know who to believe or whatever test for yourself actually think, I mean, literally think and ask a few questions. None of the, most of these bad ideas, these bad, this FUD, this narrative is just about asking a few questions. So vitamin C is one. Do we know what the optimal ranges are? We don't really know. Do we know if we can get it from meat? Well, we've seen people can get it from meat. So why don't you try it yourself? And then bam, you know, very simple. Right. And maybe you do carnivore and you want to inject, ingest some vitamin C and you eat some fruit here and there, some vegetables here and there, whatever, or like take a vitamin C supplement. Like it's not the end of the freaking world. Listen to what your body says and test for yourself and then take the available information we have and ask a few good questions. And you will literally always get probably to truth. But again, that takes time and you have to ignore uh, social pressure and humans are social animals, which is why we have the craziness we have. It's because we think tribally, yeah. we, we get black versus white, this versus that, Republican versus Democrat, whatever. Absolutely. Well, I've been doing it for over two years now, eating just meat. And I tested my vitamin C and it was optimal levels. So just, just so, you know, if the vitamin C is going to be a problem, it's going to have to be longer than two years, apparently, because I'm doing just fine. There's a good point on that too. Who cares how much vitamin C you're getting? If your body's not breaking down, if you don't have a medical issue and if you feel good, then why the hell are you talking about vitamin C? Like, that's kind of what it comes down to. Literally all of this nutrition, I mean, in a lot of ways, nonsense, it's just people trying to support identities or prerogatives or the book that they wrote or the podcast they went on or this belief system they've had for years. And they're just trying to reconcile all this nonsense instead of being actually scientific about it, right? So scientific science is an ongoing process, right? You actually create science through falsifying things that we know for sure don't exist. That's how science happens. That's, so that's Karl Popper's whole thing. And most of what is passing as science today is capital S science, where trust the science or that's science. And it's like taking a couple epidemiological studies or observational studies or poorly done studies, a lot of which can't even be replicated in any way whatsoever. And then saying, well, that study says this, but it actually doesn't say this. It actually su- suggests maybe this is the case. That's what almost all research does. And then saying, trust the science. That is not what science is. And it's just a, it's, it's ruining science actually. Like we're getting, and it's affecting like mm-hmm. colleges and research and like who gets grants and who doesn't. Most of modern science and modern research is actually broken. A lot of people don't even realize just how bad it is. And it's this appeal to authority that some guy or girl in a lab coat and some politician and whatever, and these people behind closed doors know better than you for what is best for you. And that is the most flawed narrative 
and that's why in 2020, 2021, we have the income inequality we have. We have an inflating dollar. We have pr prices rising. Like we have the divisiveness of politics. We have just the crazy nonsense around masks and, and all this other stuff that's been going on. People need to think for themselves and experiment for themselves and find truth themselves. And the second you delegate any of that to anyone outside yourself, friends, family, politicians, people on TV, celebrities, when you delegate any of that to outside yourself, you are creating fragilities that are going to manifest in ways that are going to either kill you slowly or fast. And there's no way around that. That's just a fact. You have to figure it out for yourself. You have to do the hard work to find your own truth. Absolutely. Gosh, yes. And, you know, as a coach, you get asked things like, well, okay, give me exactly what I need to eat. Okay. Well, first of all, I don't know your body. I can't tell you that I can give you a place to start mm -hmm. and kind of an idea of where to be. But then from there, you have to experiment and figure out for yourself what makes you feel good, what works for you, because what works for you is not going to work for me and vice versa. I mean, I can't tell you exactly how to eat. I can't give you a plan and say exactly follow this. And this is going to be your optimal way of eating. Well, you can, and you can't average. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can, and you can't, if you were to get every data point from that person without any bias or miscalculation or misattribution, which people, they lie to themselves. They, 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 they say, okay, well, yesterday I ate this, but it's like, okay, did you track it? Did, did you like actually pay attention to what you're eating? Did you actually weigh it or know or know anything? You know, if you were approaching your diet, like a scientist, you would literally track every single data point that you could get. Right. But people don't do that because they have all these subconscious biases of things they want to believe, things they don't want to believe, things they want to avoid, whatever, what's easy, what's hard. It's really, really hard to do. So you can give somebody a baseline based on first principles of how, of where to start. Right. And that's what we talked about on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And if you were able to take them and lock them in a cage and treat them like a lab rat, you could mm -hmm. actually scientifically figure out what foods they should eat and what they shouldn't, because every time they ate a food, you could track all the different things. And that'd be a very expensive experiment. It would be inhumane, like whatever, but it, it could be possible. Mm -hmm. And people can do it themselves if they do it themselves. But what they want to do is they want to delegate to somebody else and they will say, okay, I know you, I like you, I trust you, you're an expert, tell me what to eat, simplify my life, I'll do that, whatever. And in a way you can kind of do that, like you can get an 80, 20 out of that, eat mostly animals, eat real foods, cook at home. Like we've given you most of the first principles you need to do that, but then it's that 20% that you have to figure out. Um, and, and if you have autoimmune issues, you actually have to, it might be more of that. It might be like, it, that might be the 80% you have to figure out. Like what are the toxic foods you shouldn't be eating because those mess everything up. It comes down to personal responsibility and listening to your bio, your body, your biology, what it's telling you. Being honest though about that too. Like being actually honest mm -hmm. about it. Like not convincing yourself that, you know, well, you drank a bunch Friday night, but you had like a piece of bread earlier in the day and you feel like crap today. And you're going to blame it on the bread, but maybe you should just stop drinking like eight beers every Friday night. Like, you know, you have to be objectively honest with yourself. And when identity gets involved, when there's social pressures that get involved, it's really, really hard to do that. It really is. Okay. Do you have any hard no's on certain things that should not be consumed? Like really hard no's, like hmm. it, nobody, regardless of your diet, nobody needs to have these specific things. And I'm talking more need. I'm not talking about giving yourself a treat. I, I'm talking yep. about things that you consider to be just horrible for seed you. Seed oils. You never need these seed oils. Sugar, uh, you don't need it, but on the damage scale and the danger scale, it's, they're, they're, it's not even in the same camp as seed oils. And this is something I've really evolved my thinking on. 
Um, and that's why when I did carnivore and I started thinking about like carnivore and fruit and like, that made sense to me. It felt good, you know? Uh, and again, you have to, you, you do have to control these things. It's not like eat fruit, but eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Like, I'm not saying that as like a blanket statement. I'm saying that fruit is way less of a risk. Uh, and even if I overdo it a little bit, like it's not going to have as much of a negative effect as something like seed oils, seed oils in even the smallest drop just does no, it does nothing for you in any way. And I used to think that most of what the problem with, you know, our obesity epidemic and people gaining weight and all these different things in our modern culture used to be, I used to attribute it to more sugar and carbs and grains. I've actually softened my stance on grains quite a bit. Now the modern mass produced grains are not good. Like, yeah, like the, the fake wheat that's like in a thing of wonder bread, nobody should eat that either. That, that would be something that I would say like, yeah, that's like a specific food that you actually have you should never eat that probably make your own bread though, or make some sourdough or like do something like that. And again, they're not the same thing, but seed oils is that thing that I believe is probably like the underpinning of the, uh, the crisis that we have, the health crisis. I think, I think we don't even really understand how bad it is and how dangerous it is. And obviously when you combine seed oils with refined grains and sugar and high carb, and then you have like this very energy dense thing, and that leads to, to a lot more fat gain and fatty liver and all these different things like sugar and fructose and these other things, when they're added to a seed oil seed oil, heavy diet, a processed food, heavy diet, a grain, heavy diet, they exacerbate everything. Right. But I still think seed oils is probably the most toxic thing that a human could eat at this point. Wow. I am hearing more and more about that, but I, I, I haven't, you know, dug in deep enough into that. I mean, I know it's horrible and I yeah. don't have it, but, um, yeah. And, and see, that's the thing too. Like when you go out to eat and like I said, we, we go out to eat on weekends, usually Friday and Saturday night, and I get just burgers, mm -hmm. but I, I do understand that there could be some seed oil, like on the, the grill. I'm, I'm probably, very picky. And I is, say yeah. that, you know, yeah. ooh, you know, and they know me and, and they, I don't want any char on it and et cetera, like that. I like it almost raw in the inside, almost, but that's mm -hmm. just how I like it. And, um, I, I I'm, I'm going to guess there's probably a little bit of seed oil. I'm not sure, but, uh, I think that's what people don't understand is that going to a restaurant, even if you do order as clean as you can, you still are not a hundred percent sure, which that bothers me. I don't like that. And I, I didn't ask, I don't want to know, you know, seed oil. it's like, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, I mean, it's, just it's, it's in everything. You can have yeah. salad, you can have the main course, yeah. the sides, like they drizzle, they have things of canola oil or, or safflower oil that will mm -hmm. just drizzle like as a, to top things. Like if yes. you eat at restaurants, you were getting, you were ingesting seed oils and you're probably ingesting way more than you even think, even if you're choosing clean options. So one option with this is to ask for olive oil or butter, say, don't use any of that other stuff, cook it, uh, dress it. Like, don't give me any of the, the, the flavorless oil you have. Give me butter and or olive oil if you have it, but nothing else. And like, you know, you gotta be pretty specific and really explain this to people, but you do. <laughs> it can, it can help, right? It's still not a, a, a full proof mitigation strategy though. Mm -hmm. the, the only mitigation strategy is to not eat at restaurants as much as possible. Like That's just true. going fast or like have a, a drink or like, just keep it very simple. If you actually have to eat out and then like do just steak and say, do not cook this in seed oil, use the olive oil or butter. And you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know like the places we go to, I kind of, you know, I'll say salt only. Right. And sometimes salt and pepper if I'm in the mood, but usually just salt only. I don't want the, the special butter. Cause I'm pretty sure the butter has is mixed, you know, more like a margarine and plus mm. it has sugar in it. 
that's topping on your steak. I'm like, why do you need sugar topped on your steak for why? So I always ask for it very plain. So there's things you can do, but it still doesn't guarantee that you're not getting some of that. And, and that does bother me. I'm not going to lie. And it's in the back of my mind, but right you know, whatever. I'm still gonna, you know, want to go out to my restaurant and I really like the burgers there, but you know, you just don't know. Okay. Let me, let me try. Oh, okay. The last thing I want to talk about is wild foods. Okay. I want to know how did that come about and what is that? Like what products do you have? So when I moved to Austin, packed my car up, I had sold the gym. I was kind of getting out of everything I was doing there and I wanted to do something bigger. I didn't know what that was. At the time, I was getting really heavily into Bulletproof Coffee and obviously in the gym, supplements, CrossFit, all these different things. I was really trying to optimize and get to that next level. And I started thinking about like, okay, I'm taking this whey protein. I'm taking, I'm using like MCT oil. I'm putting some like cocoa powder in my stuff and I'm just like buying it from random places. I look at the label. I don't really know how this whey protein, for example, like how are the cows treated? How was this milk produced or made? What is the whey manufacturing process like? There's literally no information. I mean, even to this day, the information is almost non-existent. So what I decided was I'm going to at least look for this stuff for myself in bulk because I want to know exactly what the quality is. Like I want to find the best whey protein, the best milk, the best cows, the best processor. I want to find all of that. I want to get the entire supply chain like in my grasp and then buy from that wherever I can get that and then use that myself. Cause I was just, at the time I was obsessed with what I was putting in my body. Like this was part of my deep obsession with ingredients and nutrition and it all kind of converged. And I did that. I found, I found this grass fed, non-denatured cold processed whey protein that was made in the United States from uh, organic pastures in Australia. Very, very clean milk. They made it from raw, but they did like the the bare minimum pasteurization that they had to do by law. And then they immediately air cooled it. And there's just all this proprietary technique where they literally have a patent on the actual process for making this stuff. And I tried it and it had a milky flavor and it tasted good. And I, and I always felt good uh, consuming it. Whereas some of the other brands protein, like Optimin, like those mass produced, just like they, there's no flavor. It doesn't taste like anything. Um, and it's, I always kind of got a headache after actually. And I was like, what, what's going on with this? So I get that whey protein. I start making it and using it. And I start buying 20 kilogram bags at a time, which is like a 40 pound bag, 44 pound bag, big bakery bag, right? I open it up in like ways going all over my, my, my kitchen. And then at the time I was like doing this in Austin, Texas, my new apartment. And I was thinking to myself, like, what if other people would care about the quality too? Like maybe, maybe there are some people as crazy and obsessed as I am. And this is again, like, before keto really took off or carnivore, there's like really early stages, you know, mm. Dave Asprey with Bulletproof was like kind of a thing. Mark Sisson was around Rob Wolf. Like these were kind of the figureheads in this like alternative holistic movement. And so I went on Amazon and I, and I listed a bag of like 1.3 pound whey protein that I literally packed myself in my apartment. And I sold like $500 that first month in just bags of protein to people. And I was like, Whoa, this is, crazy. And so being entrepreneurial and being like, wow, okay, I need to figure out what I can do with this. This is amazing. And then I like went deep into Amazon strategies, all these different things. It was like the wild west at Amazon at the time. And I was even a little late. Like there's some people that built multi-million dollar brands on Amazon just because at the time it was so still untapped and so Mm -hmm. new. Now it's become much harder to do this. That led to an MCT oil. I found uh, organic uh, coconuts, small farmers made it in the US, certain process, whatever, same kind of method. I want to know every step of the process. I want to look at the COAs. I want to, I want to try the product for myself, et cetera. Did that. 
MC, MCT started selling. Then I was like, okay, I need to build a brand around this. And I think what I want to do is I want to launch every product that I use in my everyday life. I want to have it under the wild brand. It's going to be my personal food and supplement program. And then I'm going to offer it to people. And if they want it too, and they're interested in the quality, then I'll give it to them. And then that first year we did like half a million dollars in sales and like the rest is history. And we, we've grown and done all this crazy stuff. And now we're, you know, an established company and um, it's, it, it just came from like scratching my own itch and being obsessed with something and then looking at what the market was doing and finding where the gaps were as a consumer though. Like as a consumer, I was like, tell me more about how you make this whey protein. Like, why is there not more information? Like what are, and this is before even people were waking up as much to what grass fed, like now there's grass fed labels on everything. A lot of it is like nonsense actually. And so um, it was, you know, right place, right time, scratching my own itch. And that, that was like how destiny manifested for me basically. Okay. So the, the products that you mentioned, is that all you sell or have you branched out in, no, we, in other areas? Yeah. We have about 40 SKUs right now and we've whittled away probably mm-hmm. easily another four, 50 to 60. I, I mean, if I had, if mm-hmm. I had it my way, <laughs> I would probably have like hundreds of products. I would have different teas and I would have like products that nobody really buys that much, but I would have them because they're awesome. If they're good for you, like I would just have a whole suite of things, but economically business-wise it doesn't make sense. Our supply, our supply chain got very complicated and you know, business is always about focus. And so we've had to kind of whittle away, whittle away and just focus on the best sellers of what people really want and then make sure we can. And it's good because we can actually invest more uh, energy and money and time into the, those products mm-hmm. main, improve quality, maintain quality, consistency, and just like focus on making those the same always and servicing that to customers so that they can come to us. They trust us. Cause that's what a brand is. A brand is trust, right? So mm-hmm. you just, you got to keep showing up for them day in, day out. And now we probably have like 40 SKUs, but you know, probably 10 to 15 products comprise the bulk of what we do. Like we have cocoa tropic, we have, we have cocoa powders, we have um, some mm-hmm. official oil. That's awesome. It's caught in us waters. It's us product. I take it every day, give it to my son. Uh, we have a whole suite of products, actually. What is the best selling one? Oh, the, the, it it oscillates depending on if we're on Amazon or or our site. So our Cocotropic is a bestseller. Our wild organic cocoa butter from Peru, small batch cocoa butter, cold process is a bestseller. Uh, our fish oil is one of the bestsellers. And our collagen, our grass collagen is a top seller too. Very interesting. All right. Well, Colin, it has been a pleasure. Before we go, you want to kind of let everybody know where they can find you? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, Colin.coach. It's one L. That's my blog. And I have a link to the Better Human podcast there. I'm also launching a podcast for men, uh, morebettermen.com. You can get on the Mm -hmm. newsletter over there. I'm going to speak specifically to men because I feel like we have a, uh, an epidemic of weak men and with more strong men, we'll have more strong women and we just need more leaders. And like, that's just kind of my way to try to build more free, sovereign, critical thinking humans, because that's the only way we're going to reverse a lot of these bad trends that we're seeing in health and finance and government. And like, it's just a crazy time we live in. And if people keep just paying attention to what people say on TV, like these actors, it's like, I, I want my sons to grow up in a better world, not a worse world. Right. So I need, this is my effort is to share information and motivate and inspire to hopefully make the future better than, than, than where it's going right now. It seems like. I love that. That what a great thing to do. I love that. Okay. Y'all while you're here, subscribe to my channel and then go follow Colin and I'll have all his information below. So don't worry. And again, thank you so much, Colin. Thank you. Bye.